day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Couldn't cut, didn't cut again. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. Hey, we discuss local, national, Native news and events. And as you know, Haley, Native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. You are right, Dega. This portion of the show is presented in partnership with Little Moments Count. Little Moments Count is a statewide collaborative focused on helping parents and caregivers learn about the importance of brain development in the first three years of life. Well, you know, that's a coincidence. We have uh, Barb on, and Barb's one of our all-time great uh, guests here. And I just want to introduce Barb. Uh, Fabre is the CEO of Indigenous Visioning and All Nations Rise. She's an enrolled member of White Earth uh, Ojibwe Nation. And Barb has been a lifelong child advocate. And we always have fun and learn so much when Barb comes on, welcome as always to Native Roots Radio presents. I'm awake. Bonjour, happy to be here as always. You know, we always talk about like really interesting things about our uh, our our relatives out there, and and it's really cool how you work with kids, uh, children, parents. Um, you know, we, we have a, a, a lot of fun, and we want to talk a little bit tonight about Tribal Blueprint. Um, and tr- and I would really love to hear what Tribal Blueprint is. Sure. So it's been a long process and <clears throat> project between uh, the Bipartisan Policy Center um, and Indigenous Visioning. And we've been uh, talking about childcare for years. Um, the Bipartisan Policy Center is out of Washington, D.C., and Linda Smith's been on here with me before. And she and I, um, and Rob Grunewald also helped us. But it's uh, the Invisible Children, Invisible Families, a blueprint for supporting the childcare needs of American Indian and Alaska Native families is a result of several years spent examining the childcare and early learning needs of our tribal communities, researching and understanding to which extent current level fundings, uh, funding that goes out to tribes um, is definitely not enough. And the more we looked, uh, the more we found. <laughs> Yeah, can you talk a little bit about what you find found in in the insights uh, with this two years of research? Sure. Um, the three takeaways um, and recommendations is strengthening communication and collaboration between states, um, governments, and tribal governments. It's very hodgepodgey, and not every state, not every tribe, does it. So in order to um, really work together for the families sharing the same space of tribes and states, um, you know, we want to recommend that that's, that happens everywhere in every state. The, uh, the other one is new approaches for tribes to serve members off reservation um, in the urban areas. We have a lot of families in the urban areas, and this is members, descendants, um, and they are not receiving the services um, the tribe offers on their homeland. Uh, thirdly, uh, reforming federal funding to address um, the tribal needs uh, and using data-driven methods. There's Right now, there is no um, formula for it. It's just a percentage, and it's not based on anything. And because many tribes may not have... Um, you know, data systems where they can tell how many, you know, uh, members and descendants they have and can serve, you know, it's really a guessing game um, by every tribe that receives that funding. 
And I'll back up a little bit. Um, the child care development block grant is what states receive and tribes receive to create child care systems. Yeah, and you hit it on the nose too. I think when people are uh, enrolled members and their family is descendants, a lot of times they don't get count, counted. And I know one of the most interesting things I've learned over the years of doing this show is how big the urban community is, Barb. It's huge. There's, uh, if you, we, in the report, we were able and fortunate enough to find some data that showed, I want to say there was like 800,000 just in the urban um, Minnesota setting, and that's membership and descendants that self-identify as Native American. That's a lot of people, and there are no tribal childcare programs, um, very few. There's, um, I think they counted over 4,000 um, children from birth to three. Um, and there's maybe two programs in the Metro that are urban, are native. And then there's not tribal Head Start, um, Good news, Mc, Tribal McVie, which is a tribal home visiting, that just recently was able to um, go through a Minneapolis agency to receive that. But mm. we had a lot of kids there, and they, they need services. Yeah, and you know, it, I, I got to let our audience know, too, when it comes to this uh, colonized blood quantum, I, when I was teaching... I had native kids that were full blood native, but from different tribes. So that's a, a challenge too. What what other challenges have, have you run into? Well, um, there's, there's just, there's not, no, nobody has the right data and not right. even the census. And you know how the census is in Indian country, you know, <laughs> it's kind of hit and miss and, mm. you know, but there's just so many families that are not receiving services, and that's what we wanted to highlight in this, and especially in the urban um, communities across the states. And if we want our children to be in high quality, culturally relevant, where the, the child care provider is from, from, you know, looks like them, talks like them, yep. you know, that's huge. That means a lot to children mm -hmm. um, and families. Exactly. Hey, we're here with Barb Farbray, and we're talking about uh, the native, uh, the tribal blueprint research, which um, is really opening up some eyes, I imagine, uh, through this research. And uh, we're talking a little bit about that. Uh, you know, there's some recommendations. Do do you what What are some of the recommendations that came out of this? Well, we definitely want to have. Uh, more uh, states to have um, annual um, tribal consultations. And it's a two-way street. We also encourage tribes to reach out to their states if it's not happening. Because by talking, to, um, talking and working together, they can help identify the needs and come up with solutions to um, serve our families in the urban setting. Uh, you know, they, there's a lot that can happen when tribes and states meet. And like I said, there's some that do it very well, and there's many that don't do it at all. And that's such a disservice to families, both on the reservation and in the rural um, or in the metro areas. So, and we found that, um, the again, the data it doesn't represent our, our people um, both on the reservation and in the urban setting. So we need to get a handle on that so that we can have our fair um, fair funding. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Barb, hold on for another segment. This is always really interesting talking to you about this, and especially with this tribal uh, blueprint research and what it's telling us. Uh, thank you for being on, and we'll, we're going to grab you on another segment here. You, this is Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake, and we'll be right back after this short break.
When we heal from our traumas. When we face our fears. Let go of our addictions. When we relearn our values. When we live our teachings. Respecting our elders. Cherishing and honoring our children. When we honor and take care of our spirit. There will be be no room room left for sexual violence. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. I'm Claudia with Minsure, Minnesota's official health insurance marketplace. With Minsure, you can compare health plans from multiple companies and get free help from a trusted expert. Whatever health plan you choose with Minsure, it's guaranteed to cover essential benefits so you can get the care you need. See if you qualify for discounts, available only through Minsure. If you need quality, comprehensive health insurance, get started now at Minsure.org. As we gear up for the holiday season, let's prioritize the safety of our community, especially our cherished elders and loved ones. As you plan your holiday gatherings, remember, whether you're young or in good health, you could still unknowingly spread COVID-19. The key to a safer celebration is getting vaccinated. The newest vaccines are authorized, effective against current variants, and FDA-approved for ages six months and up. So here's the call to action. Be a vaccinative. Protect yourself and your loved ones. Getting vaccinated before your holiday gatherings is a powerful way to ensure a safer and happier time for everyone. Let's honor our elders by preserving their wisdom and stories for generations to come. So be a vaccinative this holiday season. Find more information including clinics with free vaccines at vaccines.gov. This message is brought to you in partnership with the Minnesota Department of Health. Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is presented in partnership with Little Moments Count. We're excited to have this partnership on Native Roots Radio and get to host great guests here and have conversations around early childhood development because we know that our next generations are so, so important to our community. Uh, you can learn more at littlemomentscount.org. Hey, uh, thanks, Haley. And uh, we're here with uh, Barb Fabre, and she's the CEO of Indigenous Visioning and All Nations Rise. And we're talking about the Tribal Blueprint Project, and I, I think I accidentally called it the Tribal Blueprint Research, but it's a, it's a project, and we're kind of talking a, a little bit about uh, the recommendations that are coming up. And I, right now, I, I'd, I'd like to find out a little bit about communication and collaboration and uh, if there's some cool examples you can give our listening audience about that. Sure. So um, one of the biggest things uh, that we just talked about was the data. So Mm -hmm. as you know, tribes don't have a, many tribes don't have a data system. Well, we feel that there's, you know, the federal federal government should allow um, additional funding in whatever avenue they, they choose to so that tribes can support and maintain their own data systems. And unless we can tell uh, our story um, through data, you know, we, we really are a silent and invisible um, population. And so, you know, we... BIA, for example, I believe they only um, count the tribal members, but that doesn't, you know, count the the descendants, the second, third, fourth, fifth generation. Right. I'm like, I'm with you, Robert. The blood quantum needs to go. <laughs> it's hurting our people and our tribes in the future. Definitely colonized <laughs> thinking, and I know um, there's some nations that have changed that, and. Uh, but again, data, 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 you know, you, you don't want to sink a tribe with having too many members, but you also want to do it in a good way and be open to our relatives. So this is part of a big conversation uh, that we have here sometimes, but uh, it fits right in here with the, the blueprint. Um, we need to reach out to our, our, our relatives and help them and support them. Um, you know, I, that what what do you what else do you think about uh, the strategies? I mean, do we how do we advocate and uh, for recognizing and supporting the needs of these these young ones that are 
beyond the reservation boundaries like we're talking about. Right. If we had, um, I don't even know if, if tribes have that data of mm-hmm. members living off the reservation, whether it's members or descendants. I don't think anybody has that. And, and if federal funding is based on um, the number of mem- members, right. and I say that loosely, um, you know, then we and it, we're not counting all of our members and descendants. Uh, you know, we're doing a disservice to our tribes by not providing that. So, you know, it, it's all in the data. Um, the other thing is that we, you know, we went to Montana and we visited uh, many tribes mm-hmm. and we found just in, even here in Minnesota, I hear it all the time. We we find parents, because there's such a lack of childcare, they're driving an hour, you know, yeah. on winter roads just to get to childcare. And you know, one of the parents that we interviewed out there, um, you know, he said, I, oh, "I he overcame a lot just to get where he was. He was enrolled in their tribal college, and you know, he had a life." um of challenges and he got to college and his biggest challenge was finding childcare, and he felt that that shouldn't even be an issue for him and it really shouldn't it really shouldn't um we should we should be able to also license child care providers in the metro area again so that children are you know with um uh people that look and talk like them Mm-hmm. And there's familiarity with our environments and our cultural and language. So there's just so many gains um, for tribes if many of the recommendations, um, you know, are looked at and, and even uh, changed on the federal level. Right. Uh, there, yeah. yeah, there's just so many things happening in the urban area, and there's many families that are not receiving those services. So just think about that. You know, there's they're not receiving tribal Head Start, you know, and many families live off the reservation for many reasons, and most many is, you know, economics. They have to go to the city to find the jobs because there isn't a lot on the reservation. So we are just, we, we wrote this hoping that, you know, policymakers will take a look at what we, um, what we found, what we heard. We did lots of surveys. We did lots of um, interviews, site visits, and um, talked to agencies both on the reservation and off the reservation. And there's a lot of common themes there. Wow. Haley, um, We've had this discussion on the show, and I can't remember, was it 65% uh, uh, urban Indians as opposed to 35 living on the res here in Minnesota? Was there some number that was unbelievable? I I was surprised to hear that, but I've heard it more than once, Barb. Yeah, we found there was, um, I believe it was around 80% 80 of the members of a tribe living off the reservation. And again... We do not know, is that just members or is that descendants? So, you know, it's not a true story we're telling, even with those numbers. They're probably yeah. double. So we need uh, reforming in the federal funding, and uh, and we need to talk about this a lot, a lot and uh, consistently talk about it, Barb. Right. You know, and in tribes and states, you know, if they met regularly, you know, they could figure this out for their state. Um, so that was one of the, our big recommendations was for tribes and states just to meet regularly and find out, listen to the memberships both on the reservation and off and how to come up with um, funding or services that can reach down to the urban setting. For example, the childcare. Um, it's not in statute, but it's in a policy at, at the federal level um, that you can't serve families off the reservation no more than 20. One, one said 20 miles, another said 35 miles. Hmm. So, you know, that that could be an easy fix. And we are asking that tribes, uh, federal um, 
programs allow tribes to go off reservation when it comes to things like that. They already do it in Minnesota um, for Indian child welfare and yeah. for foster care. So they right. should be able to do it with child care. Absolutely. And you know, Barb, you know this, and um, and I know you always come up with great stuff. We need a call to action um, that our listeners and people that will be listening to this once it turns into a podcast and is out there again. Um, we uh, what, what kind of call to action, uh, especially with uh, the policymakers, uh, can we can we do as uh, citizens or, or support you and Indigenous Visioning and All My Nation Rise? How, how can we do that? Talk to your legislators uh, seriously and, you know, talk to them and tell them your story and tell them, ask them why, um, you know, you if you're living in Minneapolis, for example, um, why your tribe can't support you, you and your children with quality child care. You know, um, just like Little Moments Count, you know, we're all about making sure that children um, zero to five or zero to 12 are getting high quality. You know, our kids are not, um, they're, they're hurting in school and they're arriving at school not ready. Mm-hmm. And so when they're not ready, they have to catch up. And, you know, high quality childcare, um, Head Start, Pro, Tribal Head Start, all those programs are there to ensure that children are ready, but only a small portion of, of children receive those services right now. So along with that, what is your opinion of some of the most critical steps that need to be taken to ensure success? Um, I, I hear a couple steps. Are there any more? Well, um, definitely um, get involved. Uh, you know, especially with the tribe, when tribes encourage tribes, <laughs> your tribal leaders, and encourage your state leaders, officials, to have these tribal consultation. This is where all of this is discussed. And parents can go to it, programs can go to it and ask questions. And, you know, they, and when they come to tribal consultation, all of that is documented. So the questions are documented, the responses are documented, but you're raising the issue and there's not enough people raising these issues. Is there a place, Barb, where somebody could get the tribal uh, blueprint research to, to bring along with them? Is it on a website, the research and what's been found out or? Yes, um, go to the Bipartisan Policy Center You'll find um, some of the interviews that we did. We did a segment of interviews of uh, parents and officials, both state and tribes, just talking about this. And then you'll also find this blueprint and print it out and take it with you when you go and talk to your legislators and uh, tribal council. Absolutely. Barb, thank you so much for coming on. And it's really always good to see you. And Happy holidays, happy new year, and uh, we'll see you probably again next year. Uh, We really appreciate the information and and the work that you, Little Moments Count, Indigenous Visioning, visioning, and All My Nations Rise do. Pinigigi, thank you so much for coming on. We'll see you. Hey, up next, Arvina Martin, uh, and we'll be talking politics. This is Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake. Stay with us. Oh, wow. <laughs> Unveil the captivating world of native photography at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Their new exhibit, In Our Hands, Native Photography 1890 to Now, turns the camera around and puts native photographers in control, featuring hundreds of photographs captured by generations of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and Native Americans. You'll view the world through their lens, revealing the beauty and complexity of indigenous heritage. Don't miss this incredible experience. Visit In Our Hands at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, now through January 14th. For more info, visit artsmia.org. Signing up for $1 bus and train rides with the Transit Assistance Program, or TAP, is quick and easy. Do it straight from your computer or phone by uploading one of the pre-approved documents listed at metrotransit.org slash TAP 
along with a copy of your ID. We'll mail you a go-to card with a full year of discounted rides. For questions or translation help, call 612-373-3333. 612-373-3333. Hi, I'm Claudia with Minsure, Minnesota's official health insurance marketplace. With Minsure, you can compare health plans from multiple companies and get free help from a trusted expert. Whatever health plan you choose with Minsure, it's guaranteed to cover essential benefits so you can get the care you need. See if you qualify for discounts available only through Minsure. If you need quality, comprehensive health insurance, get started now at Minsure.org. As we age, it's important to invest in our health and to help protect it. Like the flu, COVID-19 is always changing. That's why it's important to stay up to date on your vaccines. By getting the flu and COVID-19 vaccines, you can renew your body's defenses and lower the risk of getting sick. Get your health boost and protect yourself against the flu and COVID-19. Find vaccines near you at vaccines.gov. That's vaccines.gov. Hi, I'm Mary T, inviting you to experience our integrative Mary T Health and Wellness Center, offering physical, occupational, speech, and lymphedema therapies. Experience our guided imagery, meditation, Tibetan medicine, dry needling, massage services, including cupping and oncology massage. Sign up for our free wellness screenings and learn more at MaryTWellness.com. All major health insurance providers are accepted. Come for therapy experience wellness. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live and and let howl. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 25, Wednesday sunny with a high near 39, and Thursday cloudy with a high around 38. Eat Local Minnesota is a great way to find locally owned restaurants and food purveyors. They feature high quality food and unique eating experiences for your next meal. Some of those restaurants and food purveyors include 30 Bales and Latungi's Palette. Find a full list of all of our restaurants and food purveyors at eatlocalminnesota.com. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. You know, it's Wednesday and we're really excited to have our friend, our Ho-Chunk sister, Arvina Martin on, and she's executive director of Emerge Wisconsin, and then just all around groovy person, too, because we talk about a lot of things here, and we also talk about Emerge and uh, what better time we have less than a year before election to really uh, get our, uh, our, our friends to uh, run for office and Emerge supports uh, women across the state of Wisconsin. Welcome. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for having me. I almost said welcome as well. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> just a, just a, uh, is, uh, and might have to, uh, I'm going to go to New York in a week or so might have to, uh, host again, oh. but I talked to, uh, our president of Ho-Chunk Nation about coming on Wednesday with you and we can have a, just a whole hour of round robin fun. That would be awesome. I would be super excited to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking that of. That would be fun. Yeah. And uh, he's a personality plus and really smart guy. And I'm happy that he's our president, really. Uh, we don't talk a lot of Ho-Chunk politics here because of my other job. But uh, I really support our president, John Greendeer. Um, just a really smart guy that really is there for the people. And, and has a good heart. Yes. Yes, definitely. So, Arvina, you know, there's uh, some exciting news and we talked a little bit about it, but we're glad that we have Arvina on because w- there's a couple things. Arvina's uh, based out of Wisconsin and uh, Arvina also uh, 
was the first Native American city council member in the city of Madison and is really plugged in politically as I saw when I was down there being the voice of Wisconsin uh, during the uh, <laughs> during the convention that so plugged in. But wow, some really good news. Uh, kind of catching up to Minnesota uh, because we have the, the same thing here and we have a couple schools, but nevertheless, really exciting, really exciting news about you know, how the free tuition uh, came out. Yeah, UW-Madison um, announced on Monday that they are going to be um, uh, having starting next fall um any student who is a member an enrolled member of one of wisconsin's uh, 11 federally recognized tribes will be to able to attend um uh, university of wisconsin madison uh the flagship university of the university of wisconsin system home of the badgers yay <laughs> and <Easy>. awesome <laughs> amazing women's volleyball team as well as women's hockey um i guess the guys are okay too at hockey, but um, <laughs> you know, the women are really kicking sheench um, oh, wow. in volleyball, and 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 women's volleyball made it to the final four just recently. Um, but but anyways, free tuition, free um, room and board expenses for native students who are um, members of one of the 11 federally recognized tribes of Wisconsin. And then I believe it was yesterday that it was also announced that the law school is going to do the same thing. So for wow. any of you native folks in Wisconsin that have been thinking about going to college or going back to college or going back to get a degree, you know, maybe this is your sign that you should go check it out and see what your options are because there's potential for for your your tuition to be covered and then you don't have to worry about student loans, etc. Um, especially if you're looking at things like law school, those student loans um are are can can be huge in and making the decision i know that i thought about going to law school for a while because i'm interested in and work in politics and and such um and then was like i don't want to take out debt um right. and since and have have realized since that time that i am not um and an attorney type i am you know <laughs> By nature, I'm an organizer, and that is not necessarily the same skill set that attorneys have. So I'll continue organizing people um, while we have the people that are good, um, the attorneys that can interpret laws and policy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not everyone can do the same thing, but I think you'd be a good lawyer too. I think, uh, you know, there's all different kinds of laws, so you don't have to, uh, you know, <laughs> You don't have to, uh, you know, be my lawyer when I get all these speeding tickets in Wisconsin. So um, there's other kinds of law. But, you know, we, we without putting a damper on things, you know, my understanding is uh, the Republicans, uh, certain Republicans don't like that. Yeah, yeah. I've heard rumblings of things happening, but nothing, nothing official has come out yet. But this is, it's, it's interesting because this, announcement came out basically on the heels of the um, UW Regents agreeing, voting to agree to a, and I'm using, for those of you who aren't watching us online, I'm using air finger quotes right now to say <laughs> compromise, um, uh, and a compromise that, that allowed the university to give pay raises to their staff um, at the expense of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion yes. staff on campus, um, uh, they're freezing, freezing uh, positions with the intent on making them, on cutting positions, um, as well as making a lot of those positions student worker positions, which are completely different than um, a full-time a, a full employee position. Um, so, you know, I, there was a, um, when the, the decision was signed as part of the um, joint community, or, I'm sorry, joint committee, not community, joint committee on employee relations, AKA Joker, 
Um, in this case, the acronym is kind of appropriate. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the agreement was signed, but, um, you know, the assembly state assembly speaker, uh, Robin Voss said, well, this is just the beginning of our, our, our fight against DEI and Wisconsinites don't care about diversity. Um, and so I, I can't, I, I don't expect that this, this announcement is going to go over without comments. The good thing for this position or for, for the um, tuition is that these, these scholarships, this funding is coming from private sources. So it's not coming from the state at all. So they can't wow. really do anything about that particular piece of the puzzle. But I'm sure we're going to hear about um, more, more attempts to cut staff, more attempts to cut programs that really do great things for um, for students, particularly BIPOC students on campus. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty lonely place. It can be a pretty lonely place on a giant campus when there aren't that many other BIPOC folks. Um, and you know, the work that that these that this that the DEI staff do in order to retain students of color, but also to make sure that their experiences on campus are good and positive. I mean. That's a really hard thing to measure, and it and it's, yeah. it can't really be measured, um, you know, as in like there are this many students, and now it's it's grown. When that's not necessarily what is is the point of these programs, um, and you know, I think about the events that that Wong Sheik, the um, UW undergrad student group for Native uh, students. Um, the events that they put on for Native November, um, mm -hmm. culminating, and, and I know we talked about it, culminating in Dallas Goldtooth coming to speak on campus. <laughs> you know, they did a lot of events. A lot of that was spurred on. You know, students did the work for that, but they were assisted by staff. Um, mm -hmm. There was money available. And and this is, it, it was, this, I mean, this is one month out of the year. Um, and it was, I know it's how important it is to have um, events that, that celebrate culture that are, that, that celebrate the things that are important to you and values in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those times, those things, fall by the wayside. So, you know, DEI funding is a really big deal. And, and when you want to think about retention of, of particularly BIPOC and as well as um, queer students, you right. know, having that program and having safe spaces available where people can let go and, and, and take off that mask of like participating in society, a society that doesn't quite welcome you. Um, it's, it's really important to have those spaces in order for, students who are BIPOC or who are queer or who are different in any other kind of way, um, that they have those kind of spaces. I know, I know the term safe spaces gets kind of a bad rap, but like having, having like a home base or a place where you can just be yourself is so important because a lot of kids have that, have that in cafeterias. A lot of right. kids have that, you know, at student unions and, and it's not the same. And to, think about it as as the same it really does a detriment to um our BIPOC and queer students on campuses so you know you, you know when I was teaching I always had a loaf of bread and peanut butter and jelly for any one of my students to come in um because you know Arvina we're all about community and mm -hmm. sometimes they need a, a break and they need some food in their stomach and they need think things that you're talking about and that's a basic need for our our people, not just our students, but everybody. Absolutely, it's 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 having a, an appropriate space to just let go, and to just be, and not having to have. I mean, I think about my time in college and how outside of my Native American studies classes, if anything came up about natives, every single eye would in the room would turn to me, and you know. <laughs> A lot of these, a lot of, especially 
students of color or queer students feel like they have to be the resource and they end up doing teaching um, to their to their fellow students. And that's not what you're there for. You are there to learn. Um, uh, and it can be really, really hard to have that kind of wall up all the time in order to protect yourself, in order to get your education. Hey, we're with Arvina Martin, Executive Director of Emerge Wisconsin, Emerge Wisconsin. and uh, we got another segment with uh, Arvina, and we're really excited, and I, I want to get her take on uh, Minnesota's new flag, and then talk about a little of the history of the Madison uh, city flag. I have a story to tell you before uh, you bring up your story. Ooh. Yes. Hey, this is Native Ritz, <laughs> Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake, and we'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. Signing up for $1 bus and train rides with the Transit Assistance Program, or TAP, is quick and easy. Do it straight from your computer or phone by uploading one of the pre-approved documents listed at metrotransit.org slash TAP along with a copy of your ID. We'll mail you a go-to card with a full year of discounted rides. For questions or translation help, call 612-373-3333. 612-373-3333. J&S Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. As we gear up for the holidays, let's keep our friends, relatives, and elders protected from COVID-19. Even though the emergency declaration is over, COVID-19 is still a concern, especially for those with compromised immune systems. So when you get together this holiday season, opt for outdoor gatherings if weather permits or well-ventilated indoor spaces. And here's a tough one. If you're feeling unwell before your gathering, stay home. It may not be much fun, but it goes a long way towards keeping our cherished elders healthy. After your event, keep an eye on your health. Test if you notice symptoms. If you're traveling in crowded places like airports, put on a mask for that extra layer of protection. Let's make this holiday season the healthiest ever, securing a brighter future for our Native community. For more tips, visit health.state.mn.us. That's health.state.mn.us. This message is brought to you in partnership with the Minnesota Department of Health. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. How? Arvina. Oh. Good one. Good one. A little delay there. The, the, little, the little wolf that's just learning how to, to howl. Oh, my God. Hey, we're with Arvina Martin, and she's executive director of Merge Wisconsin. And I have a cold, so it sounds like merge, but I meant to say emerge. 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 Yep. Emerge. Emerge. Thank you. Hey, we're going to ask you about Minnesota's state flag. But first, before we do that, I want to bring up, have I ever told you a story that I lived in Madison and that I marched in the Madison Scouts Drum and Bugle Corps? I had no idea. Yeah. And the Madison Scouts used to practice right in the, in the, um, the big field right by where my house is, um, (laughs) for the law. So you probably practiced over there, um, right next to where I live. (laughs) Was it off Johnson Parkway? No, it was off of Mineral Point on a Seago road. It was, uh, at the time Van Heist school, middle school, um, okay. and now Bella Hamilton. Well, I, I'm talking about the seventies and I know you were, oh, okay. so I, I lived there in the seventies and uh, I graduated in 79. So uh, a few years living there, but I just wanted to talk about the Madison flag for a second with that yeah. background. And, um, so 
The Madison, uh, the history of the Madison flag, Rick and Dennis Stone, who were members of the Madison Scouts Drum and Bugle Corps, designed this flag when they were kids in 1962. So that's just kind of funny. And uh, I know there's a story, a more updated story about their design, but I thought I'd just throw that out there. It's pretty, pretty funny. Small world. I know Dennis really well. uh, Oh, really? Yeah. He's an alumni like I am. Nice. Well, I lived in Madison in the 70s, too, for about a month and a half because I was born in November 1979. So I lived there for a month and a half in the 70s. It still counts. still counts. Um, But I, uh, yeah, so while I was on city council, um, the city of Madison flag, which is, it's a great flag. Um, I don't know if anybody here is aware of the organization called the... um, North American Vexillological Association. That word is still very hard for me to say. Um, (laughs) It is like a group of people that study flags and like the design of flags. And the city of Madison's flag was always rated A plus or like at the top of of city flags um, Mm -hmm. because the design is simple and it's it's elegant and uh, it's very nice. Um, the only problem was is that there was a Zia Sun symbol in the center, um, <laughs> which, you know, for those of you who are familiar, um, uh, there are not Zia Pueblo. The Zia Pueblo has nothing to do with Madison, Wisconsin. Um, the Stone Brothers, however, you know, saw this design. It looked like kind of like our cap, like an overhead view of our Capitol building. Um, so, you know, when they picked this design back in the sixties, when they were kids, they weren't thinking about, yeah, about that design. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I was elected, I reached out to the, the Zia Pueblo and we, uh, I told them that, you know, we're changing this. Um, and basically we kept the same, the same design. We just took out that, that symbol Um, and instead put like a yellow dot in the middle of like the cross that's there. So it's, you know, some color and everything. Um, but you know, the design that the the Stone Brothers came up with was really great and, and really reflected the city being on an isthmus and where the Capitol building is. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really great, it's a great flag. Um, so, you know, we were able to keep the spirit of the flag and what it represents to the city of Madison while taking out um, cultural appropriation and a symbol that didn't really belong to us. Um, right. And when we did it, uh, my my fellow Alder, who I worked on this project with, um, Mo Cheeks, uh, we pr- we had a flag fr- printed and we gave um, that new version to them, to the Stone Brothers that night. Um, in honor of their their contribution to the city of Madison history and a really important symbol to the city. So, you know, I've, I've been following this story about Minnesota's flag <laughs> and trying to take out some of the inappropriateness. Um, <laughs> and and I'm really impressed with the flag that that was decided upon. It's a, it's a really great flag. And because I spent so much time um, reading about the opinions of members of the vexillological society <laughs> um, that, that I kind of feel like I understand what makes a good flag design. And one of the, the number one thing that they said, don't do is don't put a seal on it. Um, mm-hmm. Like a state seal, not like an animal. If you want to put a seal on your flag, I suppose <laughs> it's fine. Um, but but the, the simplification of the design and and the star, you know, representing the North Star and then the 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 blue field that represents the Mississippi River, I think it's amazing. It's that's a really mm-hmm. great flag that Minnesotans can be really proud of. Yeah. Uh were you familiar with the the old one with the Indian running away and the guy with the gun ready to shoot him? I had no idea until recently that that was what was it. It was just on my list as one of the flags that has a seal on it. Um, but holy no! Like, come, yeah. come on. Yeah, well, it reminds me of uh, the Sioux uprising. For some reason, there's a, a native on a horse flying through this guy's field, and then there's a big shotgun leaning against. Uh, uh, tree stump ready for him to take action against this uh, oh Indian. 
Yeah. Oh, there you can't really. I'll well, find a better one. Yeah, uh, Haley. Uh, it's hard to see, but there's a. The, it was the seal too, but um, so we're happy. I'm happy regardless. Um, and I think change is good, and change is inevitable. But I, can you see way in the back there? There's oh my a horse, goodness. and oh then. My goodness. There's a stump right up there with this farmer to to the left of the center of the flag, and he's got a he's got a he's got a gun ready to do 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 business. <laughs> oh, so, all of you radio listeners, if you could see my face right now, it's not a, it's not a happy face. It it wow. actually reminds me of a I can't remember what the name of the town was, but it's in um, upstate New York, I believe, that has a town flag, and it it's supposed to represent like fisticuffs, like some kind of like hand to hand combat battle between a native person and a white person, Whoa. and literally like the picture on the flag looks like the you know they're both standing there, but the the white guy looks like he's like reaching out to to choke the Indian that. guy. And I like, to me, that's like, that's like South Park levels of like <laughs> WTF-ness, you know? Like I, I can't, I, I, I'm really proud of Minnesota for, for taking out that, let's be polite and call it questionable imagery. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, you know, people will talk about, like, oh, there's all this other stuff that's way more important, you know, yeah. why are we working on this? To which I always say, we can work on more than one thing at the same time, number right. one. We can work on the flag, but we can, while working on trying to make sure people have access to housing, food, fresh water, etc. Um, but the other thing is, there is no reason why... I, you know, a, a flag that represents a state or a city should should include, you know, denigrating some of the people in that city by like having them be being targets for some pioneers to crack their gum <laughs> up on, gun on a stump. Be like, like, how? I don't know. I, I, uh, this yeah. was well, well thought out, and it's lovely. It's lovely. You guys have a great state flag. Appreciate it. I like our seal too. It's got the loon in there, but we'll we'll talk about that next week. Hey, yeah. uh, we we don't we won't talk about football the rest of the season unless we're <laughs> talking about uh, Taylor Swift and her bow. That's uh, you know. So I just want to throw Simone that Biles. <laughs> her husband plays for the Packers, so oh. we, we like Simone Biles. I can't oh. remember his name, oh. but I would love to have a Biles jersey. All right. Well, Christmas is coming up and Haley's rich, so we'll see. Yay! Nice. <laughs> I didn't know that. Hey, Arvina, Pina Gigi, thank you so much for being on as always. And your yeah. insight was awesome on that. And uh, I'm just ending the show right now. We're still here. We are the seventh generation. And free Leonard Peltier.